Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. For those of you that may be uh, visiting, or if you're here the first time, we are making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and we are about halfway, uh, about halfway through tonight. We've come to Matthew chapter six, verses nine through thirteen, and we are in our third lesson uh, on the subject of prayer. Now, if you remember how this section started, Jesus told us as Christians that we need to beware of practicing our righteous acts before people in order to be seen by them. In other words, if you're a Christian, and the Sermon on the Mount is all about Christians, if you're a Christian, you are going to do good works. You're going to perform acts of righteousness just as naturally as a baby comes into this world and starts breathing. What Jesus is warning us about is be careful when you start doing those things that hypocrisy doesn't creep in. Be careful that you don't start looking and say, wow, they they see me doing this, or what do they think about me? Uh, he says you need to be aware of that. And he goes on and gives us a, a couple, uh, uh, actually gives us one illustration on giving, and then he turns to the subject of prayer. And he spends a large amount of time talking about uh, prayer. He first tells us in verses 5 through 6 not to pray like hypocrites. He tells us in verses 7 through 8 not to pray like the pagans do, who just sound empty words. It's just They just recite empty words. He said, don't be like that. And he goes on to say, when you do pray, pray like this. Let's read our verses. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Now, we've already been in this for a couple of weeks and we've learned three things. And I want to review those three things uh, tonight because these are very important. Number one is we have said that this is a pattern prayer. Okay? Jesus is giving us a pattern for how to pray. We can certainly take this pattern, we can add our own thoughts, we can add our own words, but this prayer is not meant to be repeated verbatim. Now, as I said last week, I'll say it again, I have no problem if you want to pray the Lord's Prayer and repeat it verbatim as long as your heart and your mind are engaged, okay? Remember in verse 7, I believe it was, Jesus said, don't pray like the pagans who pray empty words. So if you're just reciting the Lord's Prayer and it's not coming from your heart, you're just doing what He told you not to do. You're praying empty words. So I have no problem with that as long as your heart and mind are engaged. But that's not the intent of this. Jesus said, pray like this. Pray in this manner. Okay, so it's not meant to be repeated verbatim. It is a pattern prayer. Number two, as we looked at last week, is that when we come to pray... We are praying to our Father in heaven. It's the very first thing Jesus said. Pray like this, our Father in heaven. 
I said last week, the fatherhood of God is the foundation of Christian prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a Christian prayer because it starts with our Father and only Christians can call Him our Father, nobody else. This is a Christian prayer. Now, of course, we all understand that what He's trying to get across is, is our Father represents the, the nearness of God, right? He wants us to see Him as a Father, not some God that's way off far in the heavenlies and, and, and we, He's unapproachable. That's not how He wants us to see Him. He wants us to see Him as a Father, so, and we'll come and talk to Him exactly like that. And let me say, this is where prayer always has to start, or at least true prayer and that is the spirit of adoption. A Christian, unlike anybody else, is basically saying when they get ready to pray, they're saying it's time to talk to my father. That's what a Christian says. And by the way, addressing God as your father is not only a sign of your spiritual health, it is actually a sign of the authenticity of your salvation. Listen to Galatians 4, 6. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, And because you are sons, or because you are children of God, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, and out of that comes a cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba means dearest Father. So the Father of Jesus is now our Father. That is an incredible thing. So when you are born again, when you become a child of God, there's something in you that compels you to view. That's the spirit within you compels you to call on God as your father. And that is a wonderful sign uh, that you are born again. Now, as we said last week, he doesn't just say our father. He says our father in heaven because he wants us to remember that, yes, he's our father, but he's also almighty God. He's our Father, but He is a sovereign and powerful King. And that word, those two, that, those two words, that phrase in heaven is to remind us of that. So these are the two things we have to keep in balance when we come to God. Number one, He's our Father, but He's our Father in heaven. Our Father represents intimacy and nearness, but in heaven represents sovereignty and transcendence. And we need to keep those two things in balance. The third thing about the Lord's Prayer that we've already learned, and I think this is an incredible, if you don't get anything else about the Lord's Prayer, you have to get this. If this is the one takeaway you come from anything about the Lord's Prayer, it's this. There are two divisions. It's divided into two parts. The first part of the Lord's Prayer is all about God. Specifically, it's about His name and His kingdom and His will. It's only till you get to the second part of the prayer that it becomes about us, about our food, our forgiveness, our holiness. Okay, The first three, of course, is calling attention to God. And we'll explain tonight why I think that is so important for us to remember. The first part calls attention to His greatness. The second part calls attention to our needs. Now, if nothing else... Take this away. The order of this, I think, teaches us probably the most important lesson about prayer. And that is this, that first and foremost, prayer is about God's name and God's kingdom and God's will. That comes first. Before I ever ask Him for anything for myself, it's about His name and His kingdom and His will. Now, this is, a, this is a principle that we cannot miss that Jesus is laying down. 
that no matter what circumstances you're in, no matter what needs you have, no matter what desires you bring to God, you never start with yourself. You always start prayer with Him. Now, I bring this up because I'm going to be honest with you, I doubt very many people in here do that. I doubt very many people do that. You see, even though He is my loving Father, and He cares about me, He cares about everything that's going on in my life, and He wants me to come to Him, and He has the resources to, 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 to meet every need that I have, the fact is, my first petition, the first thing I ask about isn't my own needs. The first thing I, need, I petition about is His name and His kingdom and His will. Charles Spurgeon says this, the Lord must occupy the highest place in our prayers just as indeed He should occupy the highest place in our life. Now, before I go any further, I want to say something, and that is this. Do we really need to follow this pattern? That's, that's a question I ask. You know, come on, Derek. I know Jesus said that when you pray, pray like this, but do we really need to follow this pattern? Because as I said, my guess is most of us, when we pray, we go right into God. I need, I need, I need. Can you help me with this? Can you? That's the first thing we do when we pray. And Jesus says, saying, don't do that. Talk about God first. So the question is, do we really need to follow that pattern? Well, listen, I can't tell you to do it. I'm just going to remind you again that this is Jesus talking. When the disciples asked him in Luke 11, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. This is what he said. Okay, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then, of course, here in, in, uh, in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, pray like this. So Jesus is laying down this pattern. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't walk away from that. I just can't get away from that and think, well, it's not a big deal. It must be a big deal. Because he said, this is how you approach God. Now, the second question I get is not only should I follow that pattern, is I want to know why do I, is it so important when I pray to put God first? Now, I'm not going to answer that right now. I'm going to save that to the end. But we will come back to that in a bit. Now, first, I want to look at our very first petition. In uh, Matthew 6, 9, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I grew up most of my life, I'm pretty, how many of you all have this prayer memorized? Hold up your hand. And everybody, is there, just about everybody knows this prayer. I don't know how we all know it, but we all know this prayer. It's simple, it flows, it's perfect, and just everybody memorizes it. And my whole life, I saw this hallowed be your name as you come to God and the first thing you do is worship. I kind of saw it as a declaration of worship, that God, hallowed be your name, or honored be your name, or reverenced be your name. But it's more than that. It is actually a request. It's actually a, a petition. You're actually petitioning God, asking God to make sure that His name gets the honor and the reverence that it's due. A, a, a literal translation of this would be, let your name be hallowed. It, you're, it's actually an ask. It's a petition. God, let your name be honored. Let your name be hallowed. Now that, listen, so, I mean, think about this. You come to God, 
and you got needs, we all do, you need help in certain areas, and you come to God, and Jesus said the first thing you need to ask for is ask Him to honor His name. Ask Him to honor His name. Now, there's a real good reason for that, and we'll see that as we move through. Now, the important thing right here is be honored by who, or be, be hallowed by who. Well, certainly you are asking that it, His name would be hallowed in the whole world. When you say, God, let your name be honored, let your name be hallowed, you're saying, let it be hallowed in the U.S., let it be, be hallowed in my state, let it be hallowed in my country, let it be hallowed in my community, in my church, in my family. But let me tell you, where does it start? It starts with me. That's where it all starts. I can't control that, but I've got some say in this. So when you say, let your name be hallowed, you're saying, let it be hallowed in my life. Okay? Now, there are two things we want to look at with this statement. The first is the word name. Jesus said, hallowed be your name. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, God has revealed himself through his names in, in Scripture. If you go back to the Old Testament, there's a, there's a lot of names, and I'm not going to get them all. But, of course, the one name that you see in Exodus, you remember, I just think this is one of the coolest stories in the Bible where uh, God tells Moses, I want you to go back to the people and, and, and tell them I've sent you and I'm going to lead them out of, the, out of Egypt. And Moses says, well, who do I say sent me? Who do I say sent me? And he says, Yahweh or Jehovah, I am that I am. You see, back in that day, and you look at all these other gods, have you ever noticed in Greek culture or Roman culture or Egyptian culture, there's always, they're always a god of something, right? They're the god of the moon or the god of the sun or the god of fertility or god of, of, of light or god of fire or god of all these things. And he says, he asks, Moses says, what's your name? And he, God's basically saying, you don't put me in a box. You don't, you don't define me that I'm the god of something. I created everything. I'm eternal. I am that I am. I just exist. I'm just God. That's his name, Jehovah. And of course, as he goes through Scripture, he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. He's Jehovah Shalom, the God, Lord our peace. He's Jehovah Roy, the Lord our shepherd. Uh, Jehovah's, I think at Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. He's El Shaddai, the sovereign God. He's Adonai, the Lord, our master. And of course, something brand new in the New Testament. He's Abba. He's, he's Father. That, that didn't exist. That was something that was a revelation that God told Christians. You get to call him Father. Now, here's the thing. For, for in, we, don't, we don't really get this today because we name our children for a lot of different reasons, right? We name them just because maybe after, you know, Aunt Gladys or something like that, you know, she was your favorite aunt, so you, you know, you name your kid Gladys or Ethel or whatever you want to name your kids. Um, I don't know where those names came from. Um, but, uh, you know, you name them for different reasons. Um, I, I gave my, all my children, I gave them Bible names. I wanted all my kids to have Bible names. But, but for, for most of us, we just pick a name. Um, but back then, a name was much more than that. A name wasn't just a title. It wasn't just something that someone was called. Their name actually referred to who they were. It, it, it represented their, their character. It represented their attributes. It represented who they were. 
Now, this is, this is absolutely true of God. And, and you can see this if you look at Scripture and how the, the biblical writers use the name of God. Let me give you an example, or, or two or three. Psalms 9.10 says this, Those who know your name put their trust in you. Or Psalms 27 says, Some boast of chariots and some of horses, but we boast of the name of the Lord our God. Proverbs 18.10, we all know this one, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Now, those scriptures are not saying that just because you know His name is Jehovah, you're going to trust in Him. That's not what that means at all, is it? It's saying that those who know your name, those who know your character, those who know your attributes, they're going to run to you for protection. They're going to put their, their trust in you. That's, when it talks about the name of God, it's actually talking about who God is, everything that He is. So when Jesus says to us, hallowed be your name, He's not just saying hallowed be the name Jehovah or Jehovah Jireh or Adonai or El Shaddai or even Father. He's referring to God's person. He's referring to His character. He's referring to all it is that makes Him God. And by the way, just as we value a good name, we used to value in our culture more your name. Your name meant something. Your word was your bond, right? You didn't want a bad reputation. It seems like now, I don't know where shame has gone, but it just fled this place. Just gone. People used to be, they valued a good name. Well, let me tell you, God still values the integrity of His name. Listen to Psalms 23.3. The Lord is my shepherd. You know this. He says this, David. He leads me in the path of righteousness for what? For, for His name's sake. Can I tell you that much more important to God than your needs is His name? Much more important to, 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 than just your needs and what you think and what you want is the reputation of His name. He is going to uphold the integrity of His name name. Now, there's this weird word that, that gets used. It's used in the King James and it's carried through most of the translations. And we don't really use it that much anymore. And that is the word hallow. And you've heard me say it already. The word hallow means to honor. But it's more than that. You know, we honor people. We honor our governor. We might honor uh, our, our president. We honor somebody maybe that comes in uh, that's done something. We honor people all the time. This is more than that. The word reverence or revere gets a little bit closer, but it, but it means to treat as holy. And the word holy literally means unlike anything else. It's set apart. It's different. Okay? So when we're, what we're asking, when we say, hallowed be your name or let your name be reverenced, we're asking that God's name be treated differently than any other name. That it is given an honor and a reverence and a glory, and a place in this world and in our lives unlike any other name. That's what we're asking for. Now the question is, how do we do it? If, you're, if you come to Him and the first thing out of your mouth is, God, let your name be honored in my life. And, and by the way, this is a pattern, right? You can put your words on it. So you come to God and say, God, let your name be reverenced in my life. Let your name be honored let, let your name be seen as holy, unlike any other name, and let that happen in my life. Well, now you better know how to do it. 
Because now we've got to put this into practice, right? So how do we hallow his name? I'm going to give you four ways. Number one, you never, ever, ever use his name flippantly or profanely. Never. Listen, God thought enough about his name to actually install it in the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, you think about the Ten Commandments. These are the, the, the big ten. And I think it's the third one. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe it's the third one. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, I hear people argue sometimes, well, what's, what does that mean, right? Well, let me just lay out a principle for you. The opposite, the opposite of taking his name in vain is to hallow his name. That's the opposite. We should be honoring His name and revering His name and treating His name unlike anything else. If we move away from that, you're getting closer and closer to using His name in vain. Are you with me? I don't want to argue about can you say this or can you say that. I'm just saying hollow His name. Honor His name. Revere His name. Never, ever use it flippantly. If you catch your children doing that, stop them. Don't allow them to do that. God's name is to be revered in our lives. Number two, we hallow His name with acts of worship. When we come together on Sunday and we sing about Him and we preach about Him and we we pray to Him, whether we do that in public or whether we do it in private, we are honoring His name. We're honoring not just, again, a title. We're honoring who He is. We are hollowing His name. Number three, we hollow His name when our beliefs concerning Him are worthy of Him. Let me commend you, by the way, tonight. Because what you're doing tonight is you're hollowing His name. You've, when other people are sitting at home, you've come out and you're learning about Him. You're learning about Him. You're, you're honoring His name. And, and for example, we, we talked about his fatherhood. We already talked about that last week and this week. We'll talk about it some more tonight. You're learning about what does it mean that God is my father? What does that mean for me? You're learning about his character. You're learning something about him, his attributes. When you do that, you're, you're, you're learning about his name and who he is as God. And that is hallowing his name. Number four, we hallow his name by living a life that puts on display that we are His children and that He is our Father. Listen, it's pretty simple. When you disobey God's will, you profane His name. Somebody looks at God and says, I know you said this, but you're not important enough to me that I should obey that. Are you with me? When you disobey God's will, which is revealed in Scripture, you're basically saying to Him, your name is not important enough to me to even listen to what you say. You are profaning Him when you do that. In the same way, when we open that Bible and we see His revealed will and He tells us what He wants us to do and we do that, we are honoring Him. We're saying, man, your will and what you think and what you want is the most important thing in my life. More important than what I think. I want to line myself up with you. That is hallowing His name. So when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name or honored be your name, we're committing ourselves, right, to lead a life that does exactly that, that reverences him, that puts him on display, that sets him apart as holy 
in our lives. Now listen, even as I say that, I am reminded that there are areas of my life where God is embarrassed to put his name. And my guess is the same is true for you. There are little nooks and crannies and corners of your life where God cannot write his name. And when I say write his name, he doesn't own that part. There's some little parts that we just haven't quite opened up to him. That's what I mean by he cannot write his name or will not write his name. There's, there's areas in our life that we haven't set apart for his use. Now, that's true in my life. And, and when that happens, can I be honest with you? I, I need help, right? I need help. We all need help, right? So what do we do? Well, this brings us back to our question. Why would Jesus say, when you pray, put God first, his name, his kingdom, his will? Why would that be so important? I'm going to try to answer that, okay? And here's where I want to start. If you read the Lord's Prayer, I spent a lot of time looking at it this week, and have you ever thought about what's missing? Not what's there, but have you ever thought about what's missing? I don't know about you, but the first thing that jumped out to me that's missing is nowhere in that prayer did I see the one thing that I pray for probably more than any other. God, help me be a better man. Help me be a better husband. Help me be a better father. Help me be a better teacher. Help me be a better Christian. I I pray that all the time because every day I mess up. Every day I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? How how am I 60 years old and I'm not better than than this? This is it. Right? I mean, this is is as good as it's... What's wrong with me? So then I end up, God help me, God help me, God help me, God help me. But I don't see that anywhere in the Lord's Prayer. And I find that absolutely remarkable. Now, understand that our sanctification, our holiness, is certainly the will of God. Paul tells us that in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, that it is, your sanctification is the will of God. He tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that God himself is the one sanctifying you. So it would almost make sense, right, that we would come to God. Remember, it's about his name and his kingdom and his will, and we should pray for sanctification, that we should pray for holiness in our life. But Jesus does something incredible. What he does is he turns our attention away from your problems and your failures, and your sins. And he says, look to God first. Put your attention on God first. Now, why would he do that? Well, I think what he's doing is he's showing us a better way. And I'm going to try to explain this to you, and you see what you think. Like I said, we all go through life. We all have pressures. We all have problems. And there are times when life can just seem overwhelming. I've been there a couple times this past week. Uh, not so much for me, but just for other people. Because um, in this Christian life, you start to carry other people's burdens. Have you ever noticed that? And you feel the, the heaviness of what they feel. And I felt that a couple times over the past couple weeks. And, and it can just be almost overwhelming. We have physical needs, right? Um, 
Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We have relational needs. Forgive us our sins as I forgive those that sinned against me. We have moral sins and failures, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is what we do. We have financial problems. We have health problems. We have uh, these bad habits, whatever. Now, what do we do as, as Christians just normally? What do we do? The first thing we do is we run to God, right? We, we run to God and God, you got to help me. I am, I am, I'm, I, you know, I'm messing up, right? And here's what I want you to see. When you come to God, you are coming to your Father. I tell you, we could just stop right there and just stay on this subject for weeks. If if we could get that reality down deep inside of us, it would revolutionize not just our prayer life, but it would revolutionize our whole life. That we are coming to a Father. And by the way, He is a thousand million times better than an earthly father. I've got this scripture. I don't know if y'all can read it. I've got it taped to my computer monitor. Matthew 7, 11. I just got it taped right there. It says this, If you then, and, I, and I, I take this personally, If you, Derek, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? The reason I keep it there is because when I pray for my boys, and I pray for my grandchildren, I want to be reminded that there's a Father in heaven that loves them more than I do. That, that just builds my faith, man, when I'm praying for them to know that if I know that that's good for them, how much more? How much more does your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts? That is an incredible, to me, just a faith-building Scripture. And I keep it right on my computer monitor. I see it every single day. See, God being a father means that he cares about you. He means it, he knows everything that's going on in your life and he cares about it, the, the big things and the little things. And he wants you to come talk to him. He wants you. That's what Jesus said. Your father knows what you need of before you ever even ask him. He wants you to come talk to him. And that's normally what we do, by the way, right? If you're a Christian, I think you're compelled to do that. You're just compelled. There's something, I don't think anybody really has to teach you to do that. You're just driven to the Father. And you come to God and you say, Father, help me. And by the way, that is good. And that is right. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But what I'm here to tell you is Jesus has given you something more. Not less than that. He's actually adding to that. He's giving you something more. What he's saying, he's not saying don't do that. He's just saying before you do that, stop and remember who your father is. He's not saying don't come to God with all your needs. No, he's saying that's perfectly fine. But before you start to pour out your heart to him and all your needs and wants and desires, stop and remember who you're talking to. Remember that you're talking to your father. That is an incredible thing. I was reading this this week and I was studying these two sections. And I just thought, man, what an incredible calling we have as Christians. Do you understand? He said, when you pray, pray like this. Pray for God's name, God's will, God's kingdom. Do you understand that God has made each and every one of us for something incredibly magnificent? Have you thought about that? 
You get to be a part of exalting His name. You get to be a part of expanding His kingdom here on this earth. You get to be a part of seeing His will done here as it is, as it is in heaven. You and I, Christians, born-again believers, get to be a part of that. And that is an incredibly, an incredible thing. In fact, what I'm saying is He's made you for something magnificent. But he's also made you for something mundane. The other night I was I was talking to somebody and we were on the phone and we were just talking about just all these deep things of God. And and I was just encouraging this person and they were encouraging me and we were just talking and I hung up and went in and I had to wash the dishes. Right? That's our life. We're called for these incredibly magnificent things to participate in the kingdom of God and yet we got to wash our dishes and wash our clothes and clean the house and go to work and change diapers and do all the mundane things that we have to do. See, here's the problem. If we're not careful, we get the two out of order. In other words, we get so focused on the mundane. That's all we can see is just the mundane. I need this. I, I need this. I need help with here. And they get out of order. And we come to prayer and we just rush in and we immediately just start saying, God, I need this. It's about my needs and my failures and my sins and, and, and my relationship problems. And by the way, do you know what that does? It just, it just increases your awareness of everything that's wrong. Right? It's just, you're just repeating everything that's wrong. No wonder sometimes we walk away and we feel more depressed than we, than we did when we started. Because we didn't do anything in that prayer to lift, to lift anybody up. Have you ever known somebody, I've known a couple people like this in my life, that um, all they want to do is talk about themselves. You ever know anybody like that? I mean, they, you can see it in their eyes. You're telling them something and they're just thinking, when is he going to shut up so I can start talking about myself? You can see it in their eyes. And so after a while, you just start avoiding that person. I'm wondering, I wonder if God thinks, oh no, here he comes again. Here he comes again. He, that's all that boy wants to talk about is himself. But do you understand where I'm coming from? We get out of balance. Yes, we're made for both. And the Lord's Prayer understands that we're made for both. But we get too focused on the mundane. We get too focused on that and we lose our balance. And when we do that, we fail to see the greatness of God. We fail to see that there's a plan and a purpose and a will that's going on above us that we, we have no concept of. We, we, just, we, we completely lose that. And see, when that happens, we're far more easily overwhelmed by day-to-day problems. Because that's all, you're, that's all you're talking about. It's all you're thinking about. It's all you're praying about. You never stop to remember who your Father is. And see, Jesus is showing us a better way. He's saying when you come to your Father, start with Him. Begin with with Him. You see, when we come to Him, and all of a sudden, we start talking about Him. Father, thank You for the privilege of being Your Son. Thank You for the privilege that I can call you Father. God, may your name be honored in my life. May your name be honored in my relationships. 
May your name be honored in the mundane things that I do every single day. You see, we start to focus on Him and we think about His greatness and His patience and His unending love that nothing can separate us from that love. The fact that as, as, as Jesus said, your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. He's eager to help. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. The verse before that, y'all, y'all know what the verse before that says? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. There's the balance, right? Yes, we've got to do. Yes, we've got to try. But it's God. Everything that's happening is it's all God. He's working in us. You've got to remember that. You've got to remember that. You see, when we come to Him, and we come to Him first, and we talk about first, and we remember that the priority of our life should be His name, and His kingdom, and His will, can I tell you something happens? There's a calmness that comes over you. There's a calmness that comes over you when you realize that you are talking to your Heavenly Father. Your faith increases, right? Because now you realize, man, I'm, you really are my father. He really does care about me. He does have a plan and a purpose and a will for me. He is working all things together for good for me. There's an assurance of his love. There's a peace that passes all understanding that begins to guard your heart and your mind. Now, let me tell you, then you're ready to pray. Now you're ready to pray because you've got perspective. Now you're ready to pray. All of a sudden, you know, that, that need you thought you had doesn't seem near as big as it did five minutes ago or ten minutes ago. Because now you've got perspective. You've considered who your Father is. One more thing before I close. There's another benefit to putting Him first. Martin Luther said this, You don't command a stone which is lying in the sun to be warm. It will be warm all by itself. What he was talking about there is coming into the presence of God. The the Apostle John said this in 1 John 1, 7, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, when we come into the light, when we come into His presence, and we consider His greatness, and His sovereignty, and His power, and His love, all of a sudden, our problems and our failures and our sins, we're seeing them within, in the light of His sovereignty, in the light of His power. And that changes everything about how we pray. Those things don't seem nearly as overwhelming as they just did. You see, when it's only I think what Jesus is teaching us is that coming to Him first as Father, considering His purposes and His plan and His will and His kingdom before our little things, gives us a perspective that actually allows us to pray as we ought to. I think before then, sometimes we're so emotional, we're so uh, called up in the, all the stuff that's going on that we've just forgotten who we're talking to. And Jesus says, you need to remember that. This is the pattern when you pray. I want to give you one final thought. If you go all the way back to the fall of Adam and Eve and, and uh, as sin entered the world and death entered the world, Probably the one thing that consumes human beings is us, right? We put ourselves on the throne as we say. 
We're consumed with our needs, our glory, our name. And as Christians, you and I are called to rise above that. That's natural. Just, just, just do what comes natural and you'll put yourself first and God second. That just comes natural. As Christians, Jesus is saying you're called to rise above that. You put him first. Put him first. Hallowed be your name reminds us that our greatest desire shouldn't be my glory, my name, my needs. My greatest desire should be his fame, his kingdom, his name, his will. And I think if we begin to pray like this and we begin to think about this, I think it's going to revolutionize how we pray. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we do honor your name. God, I pray that on Wednesday nights as we come in here and we walk through these scriptures, I pray that your name is being honored. That we're doing it justice, if you will, God. That we're, we're showing how wonderful and awesome and great. I pray that on Sunday mornings when we stand up here and worship, God, that it's not about us. It's not about how I feel. God, it's about your name. It's about your glory. I pray that we do that in our preaching and in our teaching and in our worship and everything we do, we put you first before we ever even consider our needs, our feelings, our emotions. God, there's something about that according to Jesus that changes everything. Help us to be a people who praise the way the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray. Help us to be a people that doesn't tomorrow, when the time comes to pray, that we don't just rush in and say, God, I, I need, I need, I need. But God, we stop and we remember who we're talking to. We remember who you are. We remember how you care for us, our relationship to you. And God, I pray as we do that tomorrow and, and the week and the days to come, that that will revolutionize the prayer life here at River of Life. And I promise you, God, as we hear testimonies of this, and I believe it's going to come, that we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise for all that's done. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You are dismissed. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850 850- 926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30am in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.